arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine to the corpse dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin. And today we're jumping into chapter 51, Bait for the Net. So we're changing points of view. Um, we're leaving Perrin from the previous chapter and jumping into Nynaeve's point of view for once. It's usually been Egwene's, but this time we get Nynaeve. And we're going to actually be uh, out of Mother Gwena's house slash business and Nynaeve's going to be out in the streets, and she thinks she catches a glimpse of a tall man with reddish hair and a swirling brown cloak. Now, a few chapters back, when we were following Matt around, he thought he noticed somebody of this right before an important event. So, keep that tucked away. And... It's it's quite clearly from the reader's perspective, it's Rand. From the character's perspective, they don't know, but they're like, could it be? Nah, it couldn't be. But usually when Rand appears, something happens. And we're about to find something that does happen. So she's on the street, but then she had thought she'd seen a wooden flute case on his back and his clothes were definitely not Tyron. He's like, oh, it couldn't be Rand. Just because I keep dreaming about him doesn't mean he's going to come all the way from Almuth Plain. <laughs> oh, little did you know. But there's this barefoot man that was hurrying past with a uh, sickle-shaped tails of a dozen large fish sticking out of a basket on his back. And I say sickle-shaped tails because it gives you kind of an idea of what kind of fish. If you have any inclination to research fish in that regard, I do not know that much about fish to be able to like authoritatively comment on it because for all I know there's a lot of different fish that have sickle-shaped fins, but it's large fish. It's not super crazy important, but it's a nice little detail. And it could be it could be made up for the world of Randland or it could be you know, something more specific. So this guy's, you know, walking around and he suddenly trips and it catapults these silver scaled fish over his head. And he lands on hands and knees in the mud and he just stares at the fish that come out of his basket because every single one of the long, sleek shapes stood upright, stuck nose down in the mud, forming a neat circle. Now, there's something we know about Rand and his presence is that when he's around, some crazy stuff has a tendency of happening, which is fine. But it lets the viewer know, hey, Rand, or another, a Taviran at least, is in the area. And Rand's the most powerful Taviran, even like more powerful than Arthur Hawkwing himself. So not likely to be abnormal to know who it is from a viewer perspective, but if you're looking at it from a character perspective, they don't necessarily know this, especially Nynaeve. Now, Matt, well, Matt probably wouldn't pay attention to it. Uh, he'd be like, wow, that's lucky <laughs> or unlucky. Um, but 
Perrin, Moraine, Lan, Zareen slash Fael, and Loyal, um, they would notice it and be like, oh, it's a sign. Because they they know what they're looking for. They, they're looking for things out of the ordinary. So if they saw it, they'd know what it meant. Nynaeve doesn't because she wasn't there with them when they figured all this stuff out. They haven't heard from Moraine about all these things that Taviran can do. She just doesn't know. It just seems that's very odd that a whole basket full of fish go flying out and land in a perfect circle face down in the mud with their tails sitting straight up. That's a strange concept. If those fish weren't dead before, they dead now. <laughs> they drown in the mud. But a couple of passerbys gape at it, but the man gets to his feet, not really thinking about the mud, just pulls off his basket, puts the fish back in it, shakes his head, mutters to himself, and moves on. But Nynaeve's just like, whatever, that was weird. And begins her or continues her business with the cow-faced brigand facing her in the doorway of his shop with bloody cuts of meat hanging from the hooks. The butcher. She bra she tugs her braid and fixes the fellow with her eyes, like, fine, I'll take it, but considering this is how much you charge for such a poor cut, I'm not going to give any more business to you. And he shrugs, like, oh, oh well. Takes her coins, wraps the fatty mutton roast in a cloth she produced from the basket in her arms, she glares at him. She puts it in, back in the basket, but that doesn't seem to affect him. It's like her wiles are not uh, affecting anyone nearby, <laughs> which obviously annoys her. But she whirls away to like stalk away, but she nearly falls because she's not used to these clogs. Now, here's the thing. The way they're described and what they're called, they're very different things. So the platform shoes are like, you take your shoe and stick them under and it like locks them in place. I'm assuming with rope or something. So your feet, I mean, you could use them technically as like sandals or something, but your feet and your shoes are protected from the mud by these platforms. Um, but they're platforms. So they raise you above the, uh, the mud, but then you have actual clogs, which I believe are a Dutch invention. I almost said invasion. <laughs> it's a Dutch invasion. <gasps> um, the clogs are a Dutch invention, if I recall correctly. And they don't platform you. You just stick your feet in them. From what I said, they're basically wood shoes, which would technically protect your feet from mud in some ways. But you wouldn't be able to put your shoes in them that I know of. I could be wrong because I'm not Dutch and that I know of. And I do not typically have that kind of knowledge available to me because I don't know any Dutch people that I know of. Um, at least that would know about that those kind of details. But clogs are one thing and the platform shoes are a different thing. So it's a bit, it's a bit weird, in my opinion, to have them called clogs but be something else. It's like saying, like, I'm going to describe to you an axe, but we're going to call it a sword. It's just a weird thing. Or calling it an axe, but calling it a hammer. And it's like, well, is it a war hammer? No, it's just a hammer. And I was like, I don't get it, but okay. Um, but either way, I think they both technically have the same effect. And they're sticking in the mud, and she doesn't know how people who wear them even manage to get around as they do. But she's hoping that the sunshine dries the ground soon, but I think the mud's pretty much permanent in the mall. M-A-U-L-E. Um... So she gingerly steps, going back towards Eilwyn's house and muttering under her breath. And the prices are crazy all over town, whether you're, you know, whether you're getting good quality or low quality, but mostly is all bad quality or poor quality. 
But no one seems to really care. And the people buying or selling, doesn't matter who, they just don't care. But she finally, like, notices a woman who's shouting at a shopkeeper, waving a bruised reddish-yellow fruit. And she's kind of, like, relieved to see this, because everyone else is kind of just, like, dead inside. But she doesn't know what kind of fruit this is. But this lady's calling for everyone to see what refuse this man sold. But the shopkeeper just stares at her wearily, not even trying to argue back. And there was a little bit of excuses for the prices, because Elaine had explained that the grain being eaten by rats in the granaries because no one in Kyrian could buy, and how big the Kyrian grain trade had become since the Aiel War, but nothing excused how everyone seems to just lie down and die. And we get a little bit of a backstory of like the Two Rivers, where Nynaeve had seen hail ruin food crops in the Two Rivers, and grasshoppers eat them, and black tongue kill the sheep, and red spot wither the tabak so there was nothing to sell when the merchants came down from Barillon. And she could remember two years in a row where they had been little to eat except turnip soup and old barley. And hunters had been lucky to even bring back a scrawny rabbit. But the two rivers folk just kind of, you know, gathered themselves when they were knocked down and went back to work. These people had one bad year and their fisheries and other trades seemed to be flourishing. So she doesn't have any patience with them. Which is one of those things where if you're from, if you're from like a country town, village or whatever even like in modern times and hard work has been pounded into you like all your life and stubbornness is kind of just there by nature. And you go to a city and the city's like a bunch of city slickers, you know, being like, Oh, woe is me. I'm having a bad day. And it's just like, your bad day is like one of my good days on steroids. Like I'm used to this. Like you need to like grow up and become an adult or something. So they have, it's a very different culture. And she's like, I'm seeing the city that is actually doing well in some areas. Like fish? You'd eat fish until you're blue in the face. And you'd have tons of it because the fish are all over the place. They have other merchandise that can go from here, there, and otherwhere. That's still keeping them going as a, an economy and stuff. It's just certain foods and things like that are like making everything. But everyone's dreary. If you recall from the previous chapter... Um, I had mentioned the nightmares and the effects of why everyone's so down. This is one of those effects. Like everyone's kind of just like, Ooh, but it's, it's that weak will versus a little stronger will, or maybe just more stoicism to survive the, the depression or whatever. Um, there's still someone out there who's, you know, Hey, look at this guy. He does terrible stuff. And the guy's like, oh, I don't even care. <laughs> But it's that kind of thing where it's like there's still it doesn't affect everyone equally. There's some differences. Um But she knew she would have little patience with them, but they're an odd people with odd ways. They're different. They're not like the two rivers, they're not like Camelon, they're not like Kyrian, they're not like Tarvalon. They're different people. Which is a very important thing, because the countries are very unique and independent of each other. They're not all the same place. Which is a very important to note when trying not to confuse places with each other because they're very different. Um, things she took to be kind of cringe, others just seem to be pretty normal. Even Eilwen and Sandar. She has to summon a little bit of patience, just a little bit. It's like, well, if not for them, why not for Egwene? Or if for them, why not Egwene? And 
Egwene's behaving wretchedly, snapping at the most obvious suggestions, objecting to the most sensible things, which, I mean, to be fair, is happening. Even when it was plain that they should, what they should do, Egwene just wants to be convinced. And then he was like, I don't have to convince people normally, especially people I have to change swaddling clothes for. And Nynaeve's only seven years older than Egwene. That doesn't matter, right? Which I think puts Nynaeve at this point at either 24 or 25 years old. If I recall correctly, because I'm pretty sure Egwene, when she starts, um, when, when we start in Eye of the World and she's first introduced, she's either 16 or 17. And I don't know if a year's quite passed yet, but she could technically be 17 or 18 now. Somewhere in that range. And Elaine's of age with Egwene. And then seven years ahead would put Nynaeve at 24 or 25 at this point. Because I don't, I don't know how many of you recall, but when they were traveling to Falma and they took the portal stone and it took months and months and months, that was months wasted. They've already been traveling and doing things for months. They stayed in Shinar for months. They've been doing a lot of things. Like a year could have easily have passed at this point. It's not uncommon. So then he was like, that's all the bad dreams. I can't understand what they mean, but now Elaine and I are having them too. I don't know what that means either. And Sandar won't say anything except he's still looking. And I'm frustrated I can just spit. She jerks her braid so hard, it hurt. I mean, I figured like any of them should hurt, but whatever. At least she was able to convince Egwene not to use the Tirangriol again and to put the thing back in her pouch instead of wearing it next to her skin as always. The Black Aja was until I run Riyadh. She doesn't want to think about too much, but we're going to find them. We're going to find them. She's like, I will bring them down, trying to sell me like a sheep, hunting me like an animal. I am the hunter this time, not the rabbit. Eh, what's up, Jack? <laughs> Sorry, little little fun humor in there. That Moraine, if she had never come to Evansfield... Now, before before uh, she go, continues that line, I'd like to interject. But if she hadn't come to the two rivers, you'd all be dead. Literally... Not figuratively, literally dead. Because the Trollocs would have come en masse, slaughtered the entire village, killed all their targets, and bamfed out. Literally that simple. So, it's pretty clear and pretty obvious that they wouldn't survive. But she's like, well, I could have taught Egwene enough. No, she's dead. And Rand, I could have, I could have done something. No, he'd be, he'd be dead. And she knows neither of those is true, and it didn't help her. It actually made it worse. She hates Moraine almost as much as she hates Leandre and the Black Aja, maybe as much as she hated the Shan Shan. She goes around a corner, and Julian Sandar had to leap out of her way to keep from being trampled, but even as used as he was, he almost tripped over his own clogs, and his staff is the thing that saves him from falling on his face into the mud. The pale ridged wood was called bamboo she had learned and it was stronger than it looked now people might not be super familiar with bamboo besides seeing like pandas eat it or something bamboo is highly flexible but can also be pretty rigid and it's pretty tough also it's pretty it's a lot thicker than people give it credit for um so him using this as a kind of a quarter staff kind of thing not only does it survive and is sturdy it hurts 
like if you get hit with it in combat, oof, it's going to sting on top of hurting whatever it hits. And it's going to bounce, so it's going to have more of a, like if you slap somebody like twice quickly, it's going to go faster than if you just used a solid wood stick that doesn't not flexible at all. Like it's, it's a totally different ball game in terms of weaponry, but it's also going to be limited to certain areas. I think bamboo grows mostly near water areas. I could be wrong. So don't hold that to me. If you guys happen to know, feel free to shoot me a message or reach out to me in some way or form. Um, and she's like, Oh, mistress Miriam trying to gain his balance. And he's like, I was uh, looking for you. And he flashed her a nervous smile. Are you, are you angry? Why are you looking at me that way? Why are you frowning? She smooths her forehead. I'm not frowning at you, Master Sendar, at the butcher. It doesn't even matter. Why are you looking for me? <gasps> Did you find them? And he looks around, making sure no one's trying to listen in. He's like, yeah, yeah, you have to come back with me. The others are waiting. The others. And Mother Gwena. Why are you so nervous? You didn't let them discover your interest. What has frightened you? He's like, no, 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 I did not reveal myself. Tuck that away for later. And his eyes are darting, and he steps closer, and he drops his breath to an urgent whisper. He's like, those women you seek, they're in the stone, guests of a high lord, the high lord Salmon. Why did you call them thieves? The high lord Salmon. He nearly squeaked that, and he's sweating on his face. And he's like, inside the stone? With a high lord? Like, how do we reach them now? She kind of suppresses the impatience. She's like, be easy. Be at ease, Master Sendar. We can explain everything to your satisfaction. At least, I hope we can. <clears throat> Let if he goes running to the stone to tell his high lord we are searching for them. So come with me to Mother Gwyneth's house. Joslyn, Carla, and I will explain it to you. Definitely. Come on. He gives a short, uneasy nod and walks alongside her, keeping his pace to what she could manage with her clogs. He looks as if he wanted to run. But the wise woman's house, she hurried around into the back. No one ever used the front door. That she had seen, not even Mother Gwena herself. But the horses were tied to a bamboo hitching rail. For once, she did not stop to pat Guidine's nose and tell him that he was a good boy and more sensible than his namesake. Now, I'd like to point out his namesake is Guidine, which is literally like what a warder is. So she's literally saying the horse is a good boy and more sensible than all the warders. <laughs> Now, we know we know she named it Gaideen after Lan. We know this. This is nothing new. But Gaideen's not his name. His not, name's not Lan Gaideen or Gaideen Lan or Gaideen uh, Lan Mandra or Gaideen Mandragoran or anything like that. Like, that's not his name. So, it's weird to be his namesake and then be literally like a title. <laughs> but Sandar had a Stop, scrape mud from his clogs to the butt of his staff, but she heads on inside. Alwyn Gwenna is sitting in one of her high back chairs, pulled out of the room, her arms at her sides. But the gray-haired woman's eyes were bulging with anger and fear, and she struggled furiously without moving a muscle. Nynaeve didn't have to sense the subtle weaving of air to know that she what had happened. It's like they, like they found us. Burn you, Sandar. Rage fills her and washes away the walls that usually keep her from the power. And as the basket dropped for her hands, she was a white blossom on a black thorn bush, opening to embrace Sidar. Opening. It's as if she ran into another wall of clear glass. She could feel the true source, but the wall stopped everything except the ache to be filled with the one power. The basket hits the floor and it bounced. The door behind her opened and Leandrin stepped in. 
followed by a black-haired woman with a white streak above her left ear. They wore long, colorful silk dresses cut to bare their shoulder, shoulders, and the glow of Sidar is around them. Leandrin smoothed her red dress and smiled with that pouting rosebud mouth, and her doll's face was filled with amusement. It's like, ah, now you see, don't you, Wilder, that you don't have... And then Nani just socks her in the mouth. <laughs> it just punches her right there. It's like, I have to get away. So she backhands Rihanna, the lady with the black hair and the white streak above her left ear, so hard that the black-haired woman fell on her silk-covered rump with a grunt. There's got to be others, but if I can make it to the door, if I can get far enough away, they can't shield me. I can do something. So she pushes Leandrin hard, shoving her away from the door. She's like, just let me escape the shielding, you know? And then just gets assaulted by blows from every side. Fists, sticks, pummeling her. Leandrin, blood trickling from a corner of her now grim mouth, or Rihanna, her hair as disarrayed as her green dress, grass, bleh, green dress, I can't speak for some reason, lifted a hand. Now, this has implications. Now, for one, we know from instances like with Moraine that she uses her little staff as a focus. It's not necessary to channel, but it helps channel. Um, if she's casting a fireball or something, she weave it on the end of her staff and launch it rather than like grabbing it with a hand and using her hand like a catapult or a baseball, whatever. Um, but there are certain parts of the series that imply you have to do some form of hands, which is not necessary for everyone, but usually only the more uh, advanced folk in the channeling business have the capacity to do this in, in a simple way. Um, not lifting a hand means you don't have to use anything. You just look like you're staring at something. Now, later on, with the, with the power levels rising and people are more mature with their channeling, you see this more. But there are some implications that this happens only at a higher tier level. Novices aren't pulling this off. We know this because we have Egwene when she was making those little colored balls of light. She had it above her hand and she was kind of like doing a little juggle thing. So it's something novices are not going to be very good with. Keep that in mind. It's useful when understanding how weaving works. Or tuck it away for later if you prefer that term. Um... Nynaeve can feel the flows of air weaving about her as she can feel the blows and she struggles to reach the door, but she's on her knees now and the unseen blows. I don't understand is why they used blows and they didn't just shield her in a box. <laughs> like it's, it's a wall of air around her in a circle or a square. And then she's just, you can't get to the door. Shocking. Or put it into the door. And as you're beating her with all the sticks and fists that are imaginary of air, she just rams into the door thinking it was a door that was going to open. And instead it just is a wall of air. Like, I don't understand. There's much better ways to do this. But the invisible sticks and fist striking her, hit her back, her stomach, head, hips, shoulders, breasts, legs, head, everything. She groans and falls on her side and curls into a ball, trying to like fetal position it. It's like, I tried, Gwen Lane, I tried. I won't cry out, burn you, you can beat me to death, but I won't cry. The blows eventually stop, but I knew you couldn't stop, you know, quivering. Her body feels like it's battered and bruised from head to toe. Then Leandrin crouches beside her, arms around her knees, silk rustling against silk, wiping the blood away from her mouth. And 
Her dark eyes are hard, no amusement on her face right at the moment. She's like, maybe you're too stupid to know when you're defeated, Wilder. There's that uh, distaste for the Wilder. She's like, you fought almost as wildly as that other foolish girl, the, that Egwene. She almost went mad. You all have to learn to submit, because you will learn to submit. Nynaeve tried reaching for Sidar, but she didn't hope to do anything, and reaches out and hits that invisible shield, and Leandra didn't have that amusement back in her eyes now. Just the grim mirth of a nasty child who pulls off the wings of flies. Rial's like, hey, standing next to Alwyn, we don't have use for this one at least. I'll stop her heart. And Alwyn's eyes nearly popped out of her head. And Leandra's like, no! With her short, honey-colored braids swinging as her head snapped around. I always you kill too quickly, and only the great lord can make use of the dead. She smiled at the woman and held to the chair by invisible bonds and it's like hey you saw who we came with those soldiers old woman which is funny because i almost bet you leandrin's older than her <laughs> um you know who waits for us in the stone the high lord salmon he'll not be pleased if you speak of what happened inside your house today if you hold your tongue you will live perhaps to serve him again one day if you speak you will serve only the great lord of the dark from beyond the grave which do you choose okay if i was told this and I was allowed to live. I'd be getting up, selling my business, selling my house, and moving. As soon as they, the dust was settled from their cart as they left away, whatever. I had been out of there and been like, I'm gone. See ya. Because literally acknowledges the great Lord of the Dark. That's, that's just weird. Also, I'd like to point out there's this conception... Not conception. Is it conception? Concept. This is concept that if you die, the Great Lord of the Dark, aka the Dark One, can just use your body willy-nilly for no reason whatsoever. And I have not found this to be true completely. Um, I have found that there is a usage of the illusion of it being used as real. I've also seen certain instances but the whole concept is that with the creator if you were walking in the light you're not touchable by the dark one like you'd literally have to be willing to serve the dark one and actually sell your soul so to speak become an actual true dark friend or worse in order to be able to be used in death that's why i don't really understand why they would say that i mean granted she can lie so there's that and it's probably a good use of a lie here to make her not say anything, but I think High Lord Salmon would be enough. But the fact that she's like, High Lord Salmon, dark friend, great lord of the dark, yay. I'd be like out of the Dodge City. I'd be like, sorry, people, I'm leaving. I'm out. But that's not what happens. But Leandra's like, hey, you're just killing people left and right. Stop killing everyone because it's going to draw more attention to us than it is not. And if she says anything, she's pretty much screwed. And if she doesn't say anything, well, then nothing matters. We'll get what we came for, blah, 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 blah. All's good and dandy. We'll toodly da ourselves out, right? But then Eilwen could move her head and she shakes her gray curls, working her mouth. It's like, I will hold my tongue and looks at Nynaeve embarrassedly and kind of shamed. And she's like, well, if I speak, what good will it do? A high lord could have my head by raising the eyebrow. What, can, what good can I do, you girl? What good? And he was like, it's all right. I was like, well, who could she tell? All, all she could do is die. It's like, I know, I know you would try to help if you could. 
Brianna threw her back her head and laughed, and Eilwyn slumped, released completely, but she just sat there with her hands in her lap. But between them, Leandrin and Rihanna pulled Nynaeve to their feet, pushed her towards the front, and it's like, you give us any trouble, I'll make, I'll make you peel off your own skin and dance in your bones, this being Rihanna. And then he was like, what kind of trouble could I give? I'm like, well, you did punch them in the face, backhand them, and shove them. There's some level of trouble you could give them. But apparently she just forgot about that. And she shielded from the true source. Her bruises ache so she could barely stand. Anything she could do, they could probably handle like a child's tantrum. Which, to be fair, child tantrums can get out of hand. Like, well, my bruises will heal, burn you, and you'll make a slip yet, and when you do... But there are others in the front room of the house. Two big soldiers in rimmed, round helmets and shiny breastplates over those puffy-sleeved red coats. They're sweating, and their dark eyes rolled as if they were as afraid of the other women as she is. Amiko Nagoyan is there, slender and pretty with her long neck, pale skin, looking as innocent as a girl gathering flowers. Joya Bayer had a friendly face despite that smooth-cheeked calm of a woman who had worked long with the power. Almost a grandmother's face in its welcome appearance, though her age had put no touch of gray in her dark hair any more than it had wrinkled in her skin. Her gray eyes looked more like those of a stepmother in stories, the one who murdered the children of her husband's first wife. That's nice. Both of them had the power around them. Elaine stayed standing there between the two black sisters, with a bruised eye, a swollen cheek, and a split lip. One of her sleeves of her dress torn halfway off. She's like, I'm sorry. Like her jaws hurting. She's had really, really thickly. We never saw them till it was too late. Egwene lay crumpled heap on the floor, her face swollen with bruises, almost unrecognizable. As not even her escort came, and one of the big soldiers hoisted Egwene over his shoulder, and she dangled there limply as a half-empty barley sack. It's like, what did you do? Burn you? What? But then something struck her across the mouth, hard enough to make her eyes go blank for a moment. And Joy is like, now, now, I will not stand for such demands or bad language. <laughs> I murder people, but bad language I'm not going to tolerate. <laughs> it's like, you will be treated no more gently if you try to cause any trouble. Let it be a lesson to you. That's from Leandra. And then Joy is also like, you speak when you're spoken to. So Nynaeve ached to do something for Egwene, but she just let herself be pushed out into the street. She made them push her. There's a small way of fighting back. I mean, that's a very childlike way to do it, but okay. Refusing to cooperate, but all she had at the moment. I'm like, one of the soldiers could easily just pick you up, throw you over his shoulder, and then throw you in whatever cart or anything. There are a few people in the muddy street, but everyone decided it was much better to be somewhere else, and a few scurried on the other side without glance at the shiny black lacquered coach standing behind a team of six matched white with tall white plumes on their bread. A coachman dressed like the soldiers, but without armor or sword, sat on the seat, and another opened the door as they appeared. Before he did, Nynaeve saw a sigil painted there, a silver gauntleted fist clutching jagged lightning bolts. I mean, that's a pretty cool sigil, to say the least. She's like, well, she's it's probably High Lord Salmon's sign. He's like, a dark friend. He has to be if he deals with the Black Aja. The light burn him. Well, it will at some point, won't it? That's the whole point. But she's more interested in the man who dropped to his knees in the mud at their appearance. Burn you, Sandar, why? But then she jumps as she got a stick of wood and struck her against her shoulders. And Joyer smiles chidingly, wags a finger, and it's like, you will be a respectful child or you might lose that tongue. And Leandrin laughs and 
grabs Sandar by his black hair and retched his head back, and he stared up with her with like, the eyes of a faithful hound, or a cur expecting to get kicked. Do not be too hard on this man. But she even made man sound like dog. He's like, he had to be persuaded to serve, but I am very good at persuading, no? That she laughs again, and Sandar turned a confused stare on Naive. He's like, I had to do it, Mistress Miriam, I had to. Leandrin twists his hair and his eyes went back to her and anxious hound one more. And Nynaeve's like, Light, what do they do to him? What are they going to do to us? But her and Elaine are bundled roughly into the coach with Egwene slumped between them, her head lolling, and Leandrin and Rihanna climbed in and took the seat facing forward. The glow of Sidar still looks around them. While where the others went, Nynaeve doesn't really care for her, but she wants to reach Egwene to touch her and comfort her. She couldn't really move because... Uh, any muscles below her neck except writhing is really all that she could do. They're bound in flows of air, all three of them like tightly wrapped blankets, and the coach lurched in motion, swaying hard into the mud despite its leather springs. Leather springs. What an idea. What a concept. How do you get leather springs? He's like, well, if you had hurt her. He's like, oh, I can see they hurt her. Why don't I just say what I mean? He's like, really hard to force the words out. It's like, if you've killed her, I won't rest until you're all hunted down like wild dogs. Rihanna glares, but Landrin's just sniffs. It's like, oh, don't be a complete fool. You're wanted alive. Dead bait will catch nothing. And she's like, bait? What? Who? It's like, you're a fool, Leandrin. Do you think we're here alone? Only three of us? Not even full eyes to die? We're bait, Leandrin. You've walked right in the trap like a fat grouse. Fat grouse, I believe, is a... Uh... It's, it's a bird, but it's like a pheasant, I think. And Elaine's like, don't tell her that, yelling at her sharply. But Nynaeve, you know, realizes that Elaine's helping her fabrication. It's like, if you let her get the best of you, you'll tell them what you must not hear. They must take us inside the stone. Because this is totally not like, I'm just imagining these two women just like looking at them, like looking at each other going, really? And he's like, be quiet. You're letting your, your tongue run away with you. And Elaine kind of like tries to look abashed. It's like, well, she's young. So that, there's that. Let them chew on that. I'm like, no one's going to fall for this. Leandra just smiles. like, ah, oh, once your time as bait is done, you'll tell us everything. You'll want to. They say that you'll be very strong one day, but I will make sure you always obey me, even before the great master Bilal works his plans for you. He's sent for Emerdral. Thirteen of them. And the rosebud lips laughed the final words. And Anive felt her stomach twist, because one of the Forsaken, the Dark One and all the Forsaken, are bound in Sheol Ghul, bound by the creator in the moment of creation. But the catechism did not help, nor should it. Um, she knew too well how much of it was false, and the rest of it came to her. Thirteen Merdral and thirteen sisters of the Black Aja. She heard Elaine screaming before she realized she was screaming herself, jerking uselessly in those invisible bonds of air. It was impossible to say which was louder, their despairing screams or the laughter from Rihanna and Leandrin. I mean... I, I don't know the point of the screams, like fright, despair, whatever. Just like, why? And I'm just thinking like the blood throat, like blood curdling screams, like crazy high pitched or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the point. Like I, I probably would have like zoned out and been like, oh snap, this is not good. But like screaming, no one's helping you for one. Two. Not a whole lot you can really do with the screaming. But, I mean, I, I don't have 
the mind of a woman. I don't understand why they would. Maybe somebody does. So if you do, let me know. Maybe it's just the natural reaction I am not inclined towards. I'm not really one for emotions in terms of like sadness and all that jazz. I'm a bit more of a stoic. I'm more like Lan in that regard. Um, but albeit that's the end of the chapter. Now it's chapter 51. So we have chapter 52 coming up next. Um, this one's a bit shorter than the last one. Um, hopefully you guys are enjoying the book as we're going through. We're getting closer and closer and closer. I think if I recall correctly, there's 56 chapters total and we're on 52. So we've got eh, four or five chapters left. Till this book's done with. So give it a couple weeks. We should have this book done before the end of the year, which is nice. Um, we'll, we'll easily have the book done by the end of the year. Um, and then we'll jump into book four, Shadows Rising, which would be fun. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this particular chapter and episode. Um, if you guys would like to leave a comment or message me or whatever you'd like about something, whether it be about bamboo, whether it be about the fish, whether it be anything else, um, feel free to reach out to me at my Gmail, which is talesofredarm at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is just Tales of Red Arm. Twitter is at Tales of Red Arm. Um, yeah, just let me know uh, if there's anything you guys would like to say. or whatever. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, even, the, even the hate mail is, is interesting and intriguing. Um, but yeah, we'll be jumping into chapter 52 coming up here soon. Oh, I should also add about the discord channel slash server discord server, I guess. Uh, if you don't know what discord is, it's just like a voice over IP kind of place where you can text chat different, uh, threads and forum styles, but you can also go into a voice channel and talk with each other over the internet. Um, you can do video calls, do group chats, a whole bunch of different things, but I'm on there virtually every, well, not virtually. I am on there every day. <laughs> There's not a day I am alive that I am not on discord. So, um, if you would like to chat with me directly, we can just hang out and see what's going on and talk about wheel of time or anything else. I'm always down to talk about stuff. So, Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Uh, if you want to get into the Discord, you can check Twitter or Facebook. And if you don't see either of those places or you don't have access to either of those, you can reach to me, or reach out to me uh, directly through my Gmail, and I'll send you a link. There should be a link on both Facebook and Twitter. But if you don't see it there, just send me an email, and I'll get it taken care of. All right. Thanks, everybody, for sticking around for this episode. We'll see you at the next one. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls we'll spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall, and follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and some of the girls be they short or tall, then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows.
We'll give for you with the bloody curse And hog the maids that could be worse Let's ride away with the dark ones first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Here! Yeah. 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 Yeah.